Well, I do want to thank the church. It's, it's no small feat to move your midweek services and make accommodations for a visiting preacher as well as uh, getting the word out to the membership and the visitors and the community. Uh, please know that we are praying for you. Um, those folks in Mantachi know what it's like to be without a pastor for quite some time. So um, they're a little more intimate with the situation than, than I have been. But as I've told the men, I'm willing to help in any way that I can. And I counted a blessing that the Lord would, would see fit to use me in such a way. Um, I would like to take just a few minutes to give an update on the Hillies. Uh, Glenn got a lot of this already at the house. But yes, uh, Nate's going through the halls with a, with a cane now. He's singing. Uh, he got to see the sunlight for the first time in a month uh, yesterday, I think it was. Uh, and they officially tonight moved to another step-down room. So this is the second room that he's been moved to since his time in the TICU. Uh, which is where Isaac and I uh, saw him, uh, I guess about 12, 14 days ago at this point. Uh, so I will be, uh, our travel plans at this point are we're going to Olmstead uh, with, that sounds like half of everybody else tomorrow. Uh, I'll be preaching there Sunday. I, I'm an unspoken visiting preacher there for Sunday, which uh, was just fine. I love that church very much. And then we're actually going back to Florida from there uh, to see what help we can be to the Hilly family. I, I talked to Nate this morning and uh, he was talking about how he felt like maybe he was overwhelming me and maybe uh, it was too much of an ask. And I said, brother, if you don't want me to come, just let me know right now. And I said, because we're packing up the van at this point. And he said, I want you here. He says, you're one of my closest friends and I need you here. So uh, that, that's where I'm going to be. That's what we do. Uh, and, and I think uh, from what I have seen in the ministry, really just in the last six months, I think it's what we need to get back to. So when I offer to these gentlemen to come and, and preach, and they say, it's two, two and a half hours, brother, and they know they meet for Mexican with my folks a lot, uh, I say, that's fine, because this is what we do. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be the reason y'all didn't have somebody here preaching, if I could help it. Uh, and we've got quite a few teachers now back home that we can, we'll do whatever we need to do to make sure that we're walking that path with you. Uh, and I mean it sincerely. Uh, we love y'all. We do. And, and I pray that those I don't know as well as the ones that I do, that I get the time to get to know you even better than I already do. But let's get into the Word of God. Um, I'm way better at that, I think, than the, than the, than the feel-good stuff that I, I'm leading into. But I do want to thank the Gilbers for putting us up, and as I told them earlier, maybe putting up with us. Uh, it is a great blessing to get to be with them in their home once more. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we get our title tonight from this text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I just want to read the latter part of verse 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. And it says there, We pray you in Christ's stead, Paul, of course, talking to the church, a local visible church there in Corinth, We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And that is our title, Be ye reconciled to God. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer before we dive in. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask, Father, that you would remove distractions from our hearts and minds, that though this might be a Thursday, we might be led to rejoice that we have a good reason, a good excuse, and a good time in your house this evening. We pray, Father, that we might leave this place a little lighter, knowing that we can trust our burdens in the seeking, Father, a, that special reconciliation that can only be found in Christ Jesus. Work on our hearts tonight as we discuss what a minister is, what a missionary is, and the motivation for the work. And we ask, Father, that you'd burden us as you see fit, that we might 
carry out the work that we've been entrusted to for this generation. What a heavy responsibility it is as we look through Baptist history and see the forefathers of our own that have stood and fought these battles. But help us, Father, to be prepared to fight with the armor that you've entrusted us with, but to be prepared to love, to be prepared to show grace, to be prepared to do maybe the hardest thing of all, and that is to forgive and love another brother or another sister. Father, help us work on our hearts. You know our weaknesses. You know where we failed thee. We beseech thee and thank thee for your mercy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as Paul had been doing, and the chapter breaks, of course, come at translation, but as we read through 2 Corinthians, what he had been doing in the previous chapters was explaining to the church of Corinth the reason for the strength that he has to do what it is he's been called to do, and really an all-points bulletin as to why the ministry is so important. And as we get into the points of the message, we'll deal a little bit more with those previous chapters in 2 Corinthians. But it, he says here, it is by this confidence, by this faith, that we walk not by sight, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. This faith, this confidence, he, he emphasizes it with such great importance. But he doesn't, Paul never at any point in his writing lays it out to be this clear and easy thing. It's a struggle. He writes to the Ephesians that it's, it requires an armor. He talks of, specifically about this faith portion. He talks about that shield of faith that is to be sopping wet for those fiery darts And that means it needs to be drenched in the source of everlasting water or everlasting life to maintain its protection, a coating, if you will. Today I want to jump right in by first identifying what the purpose of earthly ministry is. We're going to use Paul's earthly ministry as an example, but we haven't strayed as landmarkers from the same purpose. Uh, If we have, we ought not to be uh, going about the business that we're doing. And then we'll identify those three points of confidence that Paul lays out uh, in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, fear usually is referenced in the Bible in the terms of reverence or a holy fear. And uh, Jonah, we see it a lot as far as exceeding fear. Even the, the captains of the ship that Jonah got aboard of experienced exceeding fear. But this fear, it's not necessarily talking about a fear of God directly, indirectly, of course, but its direct use here is speaking of a fear that the hearer of the gospel would fall short. He goes on and says, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with, and there we see faith again, in them that heard it. The desire of the preaching of the word of God from the pulpit or from the gas pump, because, beloved missionaries, you are also called to give the gospel You are also called to preach the truth of this word, to give the good news as it is, is that it would profit the hearer. That should be our desire. Uh, Not to browbeat someone with the gospel, but that they would profit from its hearing. As as Brother Glenn said in in the prayers that we were going over, um, that those that hear the gospel would be found profitable in what they've heard. 
that there'd be regeneration or that a backslider would find their way back to the Lord, back to the throne. In other words, that God would see fit through regeneration to give faith, to cause them to believe. But what is it that they are to believe? We have to understand that if we're going to approach the ministry in any scope or any hope. What is it that we're asking them to believe? That through the blood of Jesus Christ, they can be reconciled unto God the Father. What's the importance of reconciliation? Why should they be reconciled? Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned, that all have come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 goes on to say that the wages of sin, which again, all have done, all have committed, our wages, therefore, are death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That but is our only hope. That but is our source of reconciliation. Without this conjunction, the sentence ends. The sentence is terminated. But we need this conjunction. Oh, how we need this conjunction. The precious blood that lies inside this conjunction is the very hope of reconciliation with the angry God for our sins. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is thankfully not entered into this text by the writer as some cruel mocking. But it is instead the very purpose behind the writing itself. It speaks of a gift as a contradiction to our wages. What are wages? Our earnings. What we have worked toward or what we have earned in the work that we have done. And salvation not being of works, all of our works have earned us death. Preacher, you mean all the good things I've done, all the nice things I've said, all of the song specials I've performed, all maybe the sermons I've preached... Yeah, preachers are sinners too. All works. These works have to be, uh, the, the worker of those works have to be, has to be reconciled to God. Because those works cannot perform reconciliation themselves. If all have sinned, then all have therefore earned death. There is no hope of reconciliation, and that hope is, as it says there, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see then the purpose of the earthly ministry, is that the gospel itself be found profitable to the hearer in pointing them to reconciliation with God through Christ Jesus. So then I'd like to illustrate three different points of confidence because missionaries, it gets hard. I would love to stand in this pulpit and say that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and two of my kids don't, I don't know about the rest of the room, but two of them don't. But I'd love to stand here and say that if you don't know him, and maybe go a little Osteen and say, accept him today. Say this prayer. Come to the throne. Come to the steps. Bring him into your lives. And you will only know joy and happiness and sweetness. The sky will rain candy and the roads will become gold. You'll never long for anything. You'll never hurt again. You'll never be strained uh, my kids don't know what that is. They're not old enough yet, but Rebecca's turning 40 this year. She's about to know what strained is. She's giving me the look. I might need another room tonight, brother. Uh, y'all know what strained is. Strained is maybe a way to describe the season you're entering into now. Strained a bit. 
Your men are spreading themselves to cover the teaching, uh, expanding their, their abilities perhaps in trying to figure out how to call preachers in, uh, how to question pastors. This isn't something that comes easy. It's part of the ministry, but it's not something that comes easy. Maybe exercising some muscles of discernment that haven't had to be exercised in quite some time. Now, there were seasons of, of plenty, seasons of greatness, seasons of joy. Two amazing men, but amazing pastors have graced this church. They've called this their home. There were seasons of goodness, seasons of joy, and there will be again. One way or another, we're going to have joy in the morning because the rapture is at the conclusion of this flesh. But the three things we want to look at as far as what, I guess, humanly speaking, what gets Paul through it is duty, deed, and desire. And we'll start with duty. Uh, This is responsibility. What gets Paul or got Paul through the ministry was a responsibility. Don't mishear me. I didn't say a job. There are many that probably most of us could think of examples of that have taken the role of song leader or piano player, and said, this is my job for the church. This is my reason for being there. This is my responsibility, but it, it's adding something to it that wasn't there to begin with. What does the Bible say about giving alms? Not let well, one hand know what the other hand is doing. We need to do that with our duties and responsibilities as far as those callings go as well. But this duty and responsibility that Paul speaks of is a responsibility he has because it was found profitable when he heard the gospel. Do you remember Deacon Stephen? Do you remember how Saul heard the gospel the first time? Might be one of the greatest sermons you'll ever read. And Deacon Stephen lays it all out. God the Father had been rejected. God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, all rejected. And at the conclusion of this sermon, He shows them the blood on their hands. And this, if you do the study, it's a hung jury that comes to this to be His audience, which one might say, why waste time preaching to those who weren't supposed to be there? That was exactly those who were supposed to be there that day. And Thomas, or Thomas, Stephen preached it, and laid it out for them, knowing that he was likely doomed in the flesh. And he was. They stomped upon him. They literally squashed the life out of him. And he asked for forgiveness. Not of them. Not for taking his duty too seriously. He asked forgiveness for them. He asked for reconciliation to God for them, through the one that he saw standing at the right hand of God. And who was that? It was Christ Jesus. Now, for our intents and purposes, if we turn there, we notice each chapter starts with Saul's story going from there, does it not? Until we get to Damascus Road, where Christ Jesus reveals himself to Saul. So here's Paul now, right into 2 Corinthians. And again, we're just going to use chapter 4 and 5 for a minute to illustrate these three points. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. There's the duty. We have a responsibility. We have received mercy. 
And though it will be hard, though it will be difficult, remember these letters that he's writing to them. Those were not fun things for Saul to address, or Paul in this sense to address. But have renounced the hidden things. Those hidden things of dishonesty, craftiness, handling the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. That's a very important thing. It's a very important thing for us to consider. What happens in in our, our human nature when we get hurt, when we get embarrassed, when we get abused by even the brethren... And I I might say, now that I edit a paper, that probably is the number one source of hurt for our Baptist brethren. What's the first thing we do? Fine. Fine. Then I'm not going to do this anymore, or lead singing anymore, or teach anymore, or I won't go to the fellowships anymore, or I won't open myself up to the brethren anymore. Maybe you do something different. I'm making my own confession here. We back off, do we not? We know the fire is hot, and we don't want to get burned again. But if it is hid, if the gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost. We'll talk about some works here in a moment, but you go on here. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Again, we speak immediately to responsibility and duty. Should, uh, and ourselves, your servants, for, for Jesus' sake, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Why do we have this responsibility? Because of the free gift of mercy that has been shown unto us. We are now the master's laborers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9-13. through 13. Same church, same writer. Paul says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So we see the fire mentioned again. But that fire's hot. That fire hurts. But that fire reveals truth. That fire reveals that which is lasting. Sometimes you're going to give the gospel to somebody and it won't be made real unto them until they see you in the fire responding, hopefully, in a godly way. Maybe they don't see that. Maybe they see you responding in a different way and that locks in for them what a Christian is. Maybe they see you do something confounding. Maybe they see you do something that makes no sense at all. Maybe they see you put someone else first. Maybe they see you coming down the mountain, but not taking the path most traveled on the other side, but coming right down to the man who is beaten and robbed and hurt. 
And they see you give him your clothes. They see you bind up his wounds. They see you treat this man. Put him on your own ass and haul him into town to see that he is cared for. And what will the world in 2023 do when they see something like that? Uh, Glenn wants to say cancel culture. Yeah, that's what the world will want to do. But there will be some who see it and say they're still good. There are still those who care for others. There is still a love that makes no sense in this life, and that is Christ Jesus. That is the only hope of reconciliation, is love. You try to give the gospel in any way other than love, and it will not be received. Because that's not how Jesus modeled it. Think of, and I'm just going to call it the way we would call it if we saw it on the street today. Think of the losers that Jesus called to follow after him. Just think of the, his earthly ministry. Those people, he, Matthew would not have been a popular person in that group. Simon Peter's obnoxious, constantly blurting out things without thinking. And we could go on and on and on. Mike, we'd probably think some of those guys are annoying. Some of them are roughnecks. Think of the zealot. You never know if this guy's going to pull a blade. He's trying to, maybe he'll try to take out Jesus. Maybe he'll try and take out one of us. But every time he gave the gospel, and his invitation was just two words, follow me. And every time it was delivered, it was delivered in love. And just about every time it was delivered, there was a crowd saying, what? Why would he eat with them? Why would he dine with them? Luke 10, verses 2 and 3, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. That means this isn't popular. That means there's not a lot of us out there laying down the work. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he should send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. We hear that verse a lot, but do you know who he was saying that to? He was saying it to the 70, who were about to go and do some difficult work. I encourage you tonight to go read the rest of Luke 10. They come back rejoicing, do they not? They went out to a community, and there were two things that they were to say. Depending, there were essentially two groups that they were going to find, based on what the Lord said. Those that will receive you, and those that will not. And the message was the same for both. The kingdom of God has come nigh unto thee. Go look in Luke 10. Even the ones that re- rejected the 70 were to receive that message. What was John the Baptist's message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When John the Baptist was imprisoned, what did Jesus begin to preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is the good news that we have today? Repent, for reconciliation unto God the Father has come nigh unto thee. And it is the precious blood of Christ Jesus. We've not merely been called to work, beloved. We rejoice in this work, for we are shining the light of the gospel unto the world. It's the good news. Some came to our meeting a couple weeks ago. I don't know, and and this will sound probably profound to some who may hear this message. I don't know if you all share it or not, but I don't know that I've had a better time than what we had at that meeting. That's right, I had fun. When's the last time we had fun in the name of the Lord Jesus? You know, he, he carefully developed the emotion of joy. 
He created the smile, which I would argue is probably the most universally understood language on the planet. I don't speak Japanese, but if one were here today smiling at me, I would understand the emotion that they are going through. Think about that. Is the gospel not like a foreign language to some that we're going to give it to? When you deliver it like this, you're really telling them something. Or like this. But if you're smiling, if you're acting as though you have something precious and you're happy that you have it, it's not COVID that you're trying to give them. It's everlasting life. They're going to receive something. And if they don't fully understand it, they're going to be curious. And they're going to watch where you go next and how you handle the next big conflict. We are to pray that more would hear and turn from their wicked ways, that they be reconciled to God. Consider the Lord's metaphor here of the 70 being sent out as lambs among wolves. Is there a worse estate for a lamb than to be among wolves? There is. To be utterly alone. He didn't send them as sheep to be alone. He sent them among wolves. Yes, that sounds exceedingly dangerous. But a sheep by itself will either starve, will eat too much and die, will eat the wrong things and die, or yes, will have the danger of wolves. But it's way better that these, the, these lamb, these sheep, be with their shepherd as they go out among the wolves. That's how he sent them. He didn't send them alone. What does it say in Luke 10? He sent them where he was already going to go. He sent them on a path he was already familiar with. A land that had already been traversed as far as the sovereignty of God was concerned. The second thing is deed. We see duty and deed. Deed is action. Nothing builds the confidence of a servant of Christ more than good works. Scripture literally tells us that good works are good and profitable. Titus chapter 3 verse 8 and verse 14 read as following. This is a faithful saying, Paul says to Titus, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, which strong says means confidently and strongly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And verse 14 of Titus 3 says, And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. That's a word that Baptists ought to cringe when we read. I don't know that we do, though. I don't know that we cringe at the thought of being found unfruitful when we stand before the throne. Do we? Do we really think about what that means? Jude talks about uh, the, the twice dead trees that bear no fruit. There's nothing kind in Scripture about an unfruitful anything. It's literally laid out in the first book in the first chapter that like begat like. There is a fruitfulness in the core of creation itself. And to be unfruitful is to go against creation. And we do a lot of that in 2023. But as Baptists, it ought not be so. Paul is writing here to Titus, who he writes as his own son after the common faith. In Titus 1.4. Would 
he not offer the strongest counsel possible for one that he considers his own son after the common faith? Would he hold back? Would he pull punches? We don't, I'm not uh, immediately certain of where Paul's writing from, but there's a lot of writings he writes from a Roman prison. Some he writes from house arrest. Does he really have the time and liberty to beat around the bush with the messages that he's writing to these individuals? He's holding nothing back. He confirms twice in this section of the writing, fruitfulness is important and it shall be affirmed and maintained confidently and strongly. One of the most important things, Titus, for you as a leader in the Lord's church is to affirm constantly that good works are maintained. He even speaks to the value of good works when he charges Titus and the other men in Crete to set a pattern of good works so that it be there in sample to the church and the community. It's what we do. When I first went down to be with Brother Hilly, and I don't say this boasting, uh, probably when I first started saying it, I was extremely tired. Isaac could tell you the first couple of days we were there, uh, we were at the hospital 12, 14 hours, both day one and day two. Uh, Nate was under sedation the entire time that we were there. Uh, a lot of folks from sister churches were coming by, and they were astonished that we just got in the car and came to Florida. They were astonished that Tate Pierce and I were at the hospital night and day. We were at Cassie's beck and call. That all the things that we did, and I don't want to say any more because it feels like boasting, but all the things that we did, every time somebody would comment, we would just simply say, it's what we do. It's what we do. Not, it's what Tate and I do. It's what Christians are to do because we are to be Christ-like. By the end of the 10 days, people were saying it back to me. Uh, Sister Salaka brought me some coffee, or Sister Alexis brought me some coffee, and Isaac could tell you she always had treats in, in, in her scrubs. She worked at the hospital there, but was also a member in H Church. And she'd bring me coffee and a bottle of water just about every chance she had, and I'd say thank you, and she'd say, it's what we do. I don't know that she got it from me. But the impact it had on me when she said it, put it in this sermon. It's what we do. We need to stop griping and complaining about all the things that we do and simply recognize it's what we do. We do it because Jesus did it. Do this in remembrance of me. It's what we do. Hebrews 10, verses 22 through 25, and I may have preached a little bit of this last June and called it the lettuceitudes. I'm pretty, pretty happy about my coming up with that. But here there's three lettuces that the writer gives us. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts purified or sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Secondly, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us, the third one, consider one another to provoke unto love and to what? Good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Do not let verse 25 immediately distract you and say, this visiting preacher is preaching on church attendance. I'm not but since you brought it up, it's what we do. You ought to be here. But a similar charge is issued by the writer of Hebrews in these three lettuceitudes. Let us draw near. Here is an admonition of purity pointing toward repentance and assurance of our salvation. 
Let us hold fast. Now we see the writer giving us an admonition to continue steadfastly in the Word of God. A continual growth and a continual striving. And the last one, let us consider one another. It's here that we have an outward admonition. Where we once again see good works referenced. Let us consider one another. If I were preaching a message on church attendance, and I've changed my message on church attendance, we all preachers have one, I've changed mine over the years. It no longer points to the importance of you being here for you. If you don't know that, that might be why you're not here. But you need to be here for the other members of this church. You need to be here for your kids, for your families, for the visitors. It is an outward admonition. Coming here and coming through those doors is a type of good works. The encouragement that it brings to whichever man is teaching that hour to see you walking through that door. We all just saw it on Glenn's face when y'all came in. He couldn't help but address it. That's how good that work is. You bless this man's heart. That's important. Thirdly, and finally, desire. Duty, responsibility, deed, action, and desire, which means a preference. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And and if you'll bear with me, I'd like to read the entire chapter. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And immediately we say, that's too much. But Paul says, this is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Let's stop again. Be ye reconciled unto God. That immediately conflicts with that. You cannot be conformed to this world and reconciled unto God. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Verse 6, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, Let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Something we referenced once already. Let love be without dissimulation. That's a big word. And if you write in your Bibles, you might just want to write sincerity there in the margin so that you understand that's what he's referencing. Let love be without dissimulation, or let love be with sincerity. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring, there's the preference, there's the desire, preferring one another. You can't provoke one another in love if you're not preferring one another. It will be insincere. It will be with dissimulation. 
Verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Ding, 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 ding. That last verse is really hard. Because we read verse 20 and we think, somebody's thirsty, I can, I can give him this tiny little bottle of water. It won't cost me anything. But when Christ Jesus speaks of great thirst, what is the solution he provides? He who is thirsty or athirst, let him come unto me and drink. Follow me. He who is hungry. What is the thing that he says to, to those at the end? When I hungered, you gave me to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. Not only is there a weight that we are doing for Christ when we do for others, but this is not speaking necessarily only of food and drink, but of Christ Jesus. And it's not simply saying, give him to your friends. Verse 20 says, if thine enemy... If thine enemy has a need, such as reconciliation with God the Father, you are to feed him. Our hearts must be toward God, the work, and his people. That should be our preference. This is the transformation of the mind that proves the will of God. If we should desire that others be reconciled unto God, it must first be so for us. If this is His commandment for us, can we truly go against God to lead others to be reconciled? God forbid. We cannot be friends with the world and friends with God. Is there a strong admonition, a stronger admonition than what Paul gives here when he says, Be ye not conformed. Consider the end of this mental transformation that he's telling us about. Sober humility. If the local church is a jigsaw puzzle of like-minded believers fitted together for the purpose of worship, edification, and service, then this level of humility makes clear one's position as part of a whole. Secondly, sincerely loving the brethren. It's not just there where we have that big word, but verses 9-12 through speak directly to sincere love. Paul lists here a type of familial relationship that has concern of good for the other members of the body. This is the type, or rather this type, is able to discipline in love. Yeah, churches have to do that. They're able to discipline in love with a sincere intention of seeing the discipline restored. These are honest and fervent in their love for their pastor and fellow brethren as well as in their service. Can you imagine, beloved Baptists, being so sincere in your church membership and in your service that you have nothing to hide? That you have no reason to sit in the very back pew? 
I checked before I said that. There's, there's only one. You have no reason for shame. Because you've been provoked in love to be here. You've been provoked in love towards good works. And you are also provoking others in the same. But you also are not just here for yourself. There's nothing to hide when you're here for everyone else. We are of no reputation in that sense. And that's what we are called to be. These are hospitable. They're eager to rejoice. Patient in trials and quick in prayer. Why? Because this is what we do. They are softened, softened hearts. Softened hearts to the needs of their field. This is what we see in verses 14 through 18 of Romans 12. And it's referenced again there at the end. You won't give your enemy food or drink if your heart is not softened to their need. Your flesh will rile up. Your flesh will say they've not repented. They've not sought forgiveness. They're unclean. What was it that the Israelites said at the crucifixion of Jesus? The the part when they spoke on his behalf and pleaded for his case. They didn't, did they? Their hearts were hardened. And they shouted out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. This is what we do to our enemies when they hunger and we do not feed them. When they thirst and we do not give them drink. We are almost, in a sense, pleading for their own crucifixion. And sometimes, Lord help us, we feel justified because they're sinners. I think our Bibles should, instead of opening up with a great presentation page of who gave it to you and when, should open up with a mirror. That we might remember what we were at the beginning. What we were before Genesis 1, before we ever read anything in this book, we were sinners. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Before God, all is revealed and without question will be made manifest. It should be the desire of the missionary that nothing should need be hidden. Not that it could be. But it should be our desire that we don't feel that we should have to hide. Because we are pursuing after our Lord. Romans 13.5 says, Ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Romans 6, verses 12 through 14 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace." We like to tote verse 14. We struggle much with verse 13. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Reconcile yourself unto God, that ye be an instrument of righteousness, that ye be as one made alive from the dead, that might even appear to be happy about it. As we close, here's one more let us. Let us once again consider what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. There in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. But we have this treasure 
in earthen vessels. You ever thought about that word treasure? We don't have this thing, this possession, this, this uh, substance of some kind that we just came across, that we just happen to have. It's a treasure. Treasure tends to go where it's intended to be, and it only has value in the realm where it was intended to go. If I were to somehow pull my salvation from my very being and put it in a bag and hand it to a reprobate, it won't be treasure to them. They cannot believe. But if it's in me, an elect person of God, the target of the affection of the Lord God the Father when He sent the Son to the cross, it has a great value to me. It should be exceedingly precious to me. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. A treasure in earthly, earthen vessels. An excellency of the power of God and not of us. Us being of no reputation. Us being reconciled or at peace with God. Us being content with doing what God has called for us to do. Which is modeled by Christ Jesus simply because it's what we do. We are troubled on every side, Paul says, yet not distressed. Remember, he's talking about the ministry. He's not talking about the folks in Decatur, Alabama, or the the folks in the bad part of town. He is saying in the ministry, in the Lord's church, there's trouble on every side. Read through Jude tonight. There's trouble within, there's trouble without. Trouble above, trouble all around, trouble from the past, trouble coming in the future, trouble on every side, yet we're not distressed. We appear to be a lot in 2023. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair, he says. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, not forgotten, not left alone as sheep without a shepherd. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. I want to ask you tonight, are you bearing about in your body? Are you bearing about in this church body? Are you bearing about in your life the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we know what the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is? It's that wee little but we read about in Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 2. But the word preached, that is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So it's saying that we are bearing about in the body his death, but in the, in the manifestation of our actions, in what we do, In the good works, and I want to throw it in there because as Baptists we have to hear it, these good works are not giving salvation or maintaining salvation. But in these very necessary good works, we are expressing the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. What good is it for me to be saved and alive and alive forevermore, but distressed? But it is those good works, done with a smile, done with joy, that expresses the everlasting life that has been given as a gift unto me. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also 
of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. I pray that every born-again believer recognizes him or herself to indeed be missionaries or ambassadors for Christ. That's the first part of the verse we opened with in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Paul says that he is an ambassador of Christ. I pray that if you're here and born again, you recognize that it is not based on the level of service you have done thus far. You already are, if you're born again, an ambassador of Christ. When I teach through Proverbs 22, I like to remind folks that when it says to teach your children the way they should go and they shall not stray from it, they shall not depart from it, it doesn't specifically say only the good things. And if you have had children, you know they pick up them bad things too. You are teaching them. The admonition is to teach them the way they should go. But they are going to follow the way that you have led for them. So you, born-again believer, are an ambassador of Christ Jesus. And the world is looking to you, whether you're prepared for it or not, to be a model of Christ Jesus. My urge to you is to be prepared for it. To read your Bibles. Such an hour as the one you're in may come swiftly. You might be the next man that has to teach in this pulpit. Such an hour of great need as the Hilly family has gone through might visit your life soon. I mean, look at the last three years. We're surrounded by opportunities for catastrophe. We are surrounded by opportunities for folks to be massively discouraged. And Paul says discouragement shall come, but the work has been sovereignly designed according to his purpose. And he does all things well. Let us close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once more for the opportunity to preach and teach your word. We ask, Father, that it might be a blessing. That it was your voice, your words heard here and not my own. That, Lord, you would increase in the hearts of those who are gathered here. That we would decrease. That we would be of no reputation. That we would seek to maintain an awareness of the reconciliation that we have been gifted with you. That we would give the gospel in such a manner that our desire is made clear. We require, we we request, we labor to see that the gospel be found profitable to all who receive it, to all who hear it. We trust the regeneration to Thee. We trust the working on the heart to Thee, as Scripture dictates. But let us to be joyful laborers, Father. Joyful even in 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 a season of discouragement that others might see and glorify you. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.